Hey guys, this is Ryan. Uh, we had some technical issues recording this episode, episode number five. Steve's mic did not want to work, and we didn't realize it until long after we had recorded it. So we're just going to publish it anyways. We don't have time to re-record or try to do anything different. Uh, this is going to go up on Sunday night, Monday morning. Uh, just uh, know that we had some problems, and that's why Steve's voice is far in the back, and you hear me loud and clear. Uh, I I think it's still listenable. You just crank it up, and you can still hear Steve in the background saying his Steve things, all the th- the things that Steve's would say. He says them, and you can hear them. They're just they're just uh, far away, and a little tin canny. So I hope you don't judge us too too hard for this. But I think it's still a great episode. I think you're gonna enjoy it. All right, here we go. This is Ryan. You're listening to uh, 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing podcast. How are you doing, guys? Hey. Uh, <laughs> throw it on the ground, Steve. Yeah. I took, <laughs> I took the phone and I threw it on the ground. Anything new happened since the last uh, podcast? What was the last podcast? I don't think either of us have bought anything or sold no, anything since no. then. All right, well, let's just uh, get straight into ads then. Oh, this oh, is episode... Oh, hold, on. Uh, hold on. Okay, what's up? This is the Olympic podcast. Olympic podcast, Olympics. official Olympic podcast. All right, so anyway, let's get into that. <laughs> uh, 2014 Sochi <laughs> 60-cycle hum yeah. Olympic podcast, oh, okay. brought to you by McDonald's and Subaru. <laughs> is Subaru a sponsor? I have no idea. Just I... shove a bunch of McNuggets in your Subaru and pour Coke on it. I was really hoping that the opening ceremonies would feature the Red Elvises. Oh, man, that'd be great. Uh, then I found out they were from New York. So, Oh, are they? Is yeah. it all an act? Well, I mean, I think they're actually Russian immigrants, but okay. I, I have no idea. I don't listen to them. Well, where are they from from then? You know, well, That's what I want to know. I don't know. But it said they got tattoo, which was also interesting because... Ten years ago, everyone thought they were lesbians or sisters or lesbian sisters. Yeah. No one in America really knows. I think that was all a uh, marketing thing. Probably. Yeah. I like barely Tegan. remember people talking about that. Yeah. I didn't have any actual exposure to It's kind of like Tegan, Tegan and Sarah. It. Yeah. We're going to get so much hate mail. Why? We haven't said anything awful yeah. yet. Yeah. All right, anyway. (laughs) Let's get straight into ads. This is an ad that, oh gosh, I wish I had pulled up the name of the guy who sent it to us. But it was a guy on the gear page who who sent this ad to us. Yeah. And it's for a guitar in Bay Ridge. Where's Bay Ridge? It's in New York. That's in New York. And uh, it is for a lollipop guitar. Yeah. And it is purple. And it looks like what it sounds like. It looks like a lollipop got this maple neck on it that goes down to a perfectly circle purple body one humbucker uh hardtail bridge i think one yeah just one uh, volume knob on it and it's a hundred bucks and i just think it's really cool yeah it, it reminds me a lot of a banjo yeah it's got a banjo shape to but it obviously it it doesn't have like the drum head of a banjo, so it should sound more like a guitar. And the the title of this, I think, the reason why it caught uh, the guy's attention to send it to us is the title is 
This guitar will get you laid, parentheses, explanation point. And uh, there's a good chance it could. I mean, yeah. you going around with a lollipop guitar, you know, you're you're ex- just exuding confidence. Right. And, you're exuding you know, pure sexuality. If you're a singer-songwriter, you're going to get laid because you write music. I'm not a singer-songwriter. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, there's a lot of guys who get into playing guitar when they're in high school because they're hoping that it'll help them meet girls. Yeah. And vice versa, girls hoping it'll meet, help them meet guys, which it probably does. If a girl plays guitar, but, you know, girls don't have much I trouble anyway. girls but, pick up guitar to meet guys here, because you think yeah. about all of the famous, at least women, like all of the famous guy singer-songwriters are all writing songs about, oh, I'm so sad because this girl... All of the girl singer-songwriters are like, the next guy who crosses my path is going to get razor blade across the jugular. <laughs> I don't know if I'm listening to the music you're listening to. <laughs> but uh, my point was, my point that I was getting to, is that if you want want girls to like you when you're in high school, don't learn to play guitar, just learn to sing. That's where it's that Girls don't care about guitar players, they care about singers. Yeah, that's true. They want it's not about the guitar. It's about being the front man and yeah. it's about not being the bass player. Well, you know, from what I've heard the bass player uh he's not lonely. He just <laughs> he doesn't get first pick. Yeah, right. In the fantasy made up band world that probably doesn't even exist anymore because this, this is all stuff that was made up for Led Zeppelin and Motley Crue. Right. right. The fantasy uh fantasy band ball. Yeah. Pick them draft. <laughs> okay, so we're done talking about this. There's really nothing else left to say about yeah, actually, it. It's a lollipop guitar. I, one I looked I up the to... company. Oh, yeah? And it's it's defunct. They're not around oh, okay. anymore. But at some point, they were making a guitar that had like a photo finish on it of an actual lollipop. Nice. So it had like the lollipop swirl in the body. So you could pick this thing up and you could be like, this is a giant lollipop and you could lick it. And you could it, join the lollipop at, uh, when you bought these things, if like if you ordered it, the way it came packaged is it had cellophane wrapped around the body. What? Yeah. Right. They were committed to the lollipop thing. So one of the things I thought was weird on this ad, and of course without playing the guitar, I want to know, uh-huh. um, is that it's a single humbucker guitar right? that, quote, sounds and plays like a Fender Stratocaster, parentheses, M-I-M, in parentheses. Okay. Well, you know, there's, there's fat strats. Yeah. Uh... They probably mean the quality and feel of the neck. Right. That's That would be my guess. Well, for plays, sure, but sounds? Well, let's be honest. Guitars don't sound that different from yeah. each other. You know, it's a humbucker guitar. It's going to sound like a humbucker guitar. Indeed. You All should, right. Most of it, most of the differences in guitars, if we're honest with ourselves, is how it feels in your hands, how it looks, and uh, the price. The sound, uh, there's 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 variances, but they're not as huge as you would think. Yeah, and whether or not that guitar will get you laid. Yes, that's an, that's an important part. This, I've got another ad here, and this thing blew my mind today. Uh, someone sent it to us on the Facebook group, right? Uh, yes. Do we, do we remember who? We should really be uh, saying who these people are. Let me pull up Facebook here. I've got the Wait, what are right we talking here. about right now? We're talking about the uh, the Marshall. I thought you sent that to me. Oh, you know where I got this? I got this off of uh, Surf Guitar 101. Oh, okay. 
Let me find the name of the guy. Let's do this. And sing a little song for Here we Steve. go. Uh, <laughs> so in honor of the Sochi Olympics, someone posted the Trollolololololo guy uh, YouTube video on Facebook the other day. And if you don't remember the Mr. Trollololo, you should look that up. Uh, I can't sing like him because he's awesome. Okay, I'm back. All right. Uh, the guy who posted rough. this is called uh, C.A. Oh, CAD. C-A-D Daddy. And he is from <laughs> Northeastern Ohio off of the forum Surf Guitar 101, which I frequent. And uh, this is a very interesting amp. He, he spotted this in Canton, which is south of Cleveland, I think. Uh, so, Cleveland Rocks. Yeah, Cleveland Rocks. Uh, I don't know how populated that area is. I, don't, I haven't looked at the Canton uh, Craigslist. But I'm, I'm going to read the description to you. But it, imagine first in your head the pictures. It looks like a Marshall combo amp. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sweet old it 2x12 has, GTM yeah. 45 look. It looks pristine. It has a Marshall tag on the front. Like, cosmetically, this is a Marshall amp. Yes. Here's the description. This is a one-of-a-kind, completely hand-built, point-to-point vintage amp design. Built by Manny at Amp Doctor, the cabinet and chassis is a Marshall JTM 45 NK2, but the insides are a 1966 Fender Twin Vibro Channel only design, 100% hand built, best of everything, components built by a master tech. Uh, that was there for the 60s amps when they were new. No expense was spared in the construction of this 85 tube watts 2x12 amp. Speakers are Chelsean G12S50s, and amp has a twin reverb tank and tube reverb circuit too. This amp sounds huge, 100% tube from end to back. Tubes are all excellent condition and performs flawlessly and sounds like no other combo you've ever plugged into. Works great with pedals out front or just plug into the amp for a gigantic sweep. All tube creaminess. This boutique, in, print, in uh, quotation marks, that nobody else is going to have, must here to appreciate. I, no kidding that nobody is going to have this. It's a Fender, like, monster Frankenstein amp inside of a Marshall box. Right. Like, I can't wrap my mind around this. I I understand the function of the amp. I understand that it works and how it would sound. I don't understand the thought process that led to its creation. So you sent this to me earlier today, and I've been racking my brain, and I think I finally figured it out. Uh huh. This amp concept is what happens when someone says, if Dick Dale wanted Jimi Hendrix to play a Fender amp, yeah. how would he trick him into doing it? <laughs> and this is how. He would take a Fender twin... And smash it into a Marshall cabinet. It's it's got to be some kind of thing where the guy wanted to prank people, but it's such an expensive prank. I don't know how much he paid to have this made, but he's selling it for only six hundred and fifty dollars. Right, which is and, a that's an awesome price. Yeah, if you're looking for something weird and you're in Canton and something that sounds like it would actually sound really good, yeah, go go pick this up because this is a weird 
weird beast. Yeah, the uh, the reverb or vibro channel, as he calls it, on uh -huh. the twin reverb, is one of my favorite amp sounds. Yeah, uh, I haven't played any point to point like this would be a hand wired amp, uh, but still, that's a pretty great idea. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it, the chassis layout is just. I looked at it. I would be confused. <laughs> you've taken a two a two input amp. You've turned it into a four input yeah. chassis. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff blocked off. All here. your knobs are labeled oddly. Uh huh. Uh, you know, I just uh, I don't know. It's confusing. It's just a weird concept. Like, what are you? What was? What was the thought that that you would play a show through this and people would come up to you and be like, oh, I just love. That amp, a classic Marshall tone, and you'd be like, actually, that's a twin reverb. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I twin tricked reverb. you. I paid some guy three <laughs> grand to make this amp so I could trick you instead of buying a twin. I wanted to trick people. Like it's so bizarre. Yeah. How how did this come into existence? And it's not like the twin reverb isn't a classic amp. No. I mean it's a great the, amp. If he was taking like a crate gx whatever like piece of crap mm -hmm. solid state amp and dropping it into a marshall cabinet right that would be hilarious yeah totally and that would be like oh yeah okay i can see there being at least some level of artistic merit there where you're saying like oh i've just recased this piece of crap uh -huh. and now everyone thinks it's awesome right uh but to take something that was already awesome to begin with yeah, it's like, oh, you think this is an awesome amp? You're wrong. It's a different awesome amp. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this on. isn't like some sort of like joke like you're saying, like like if someone took the guts out of a Morgan and put a crate power block in it or something right, like that. Right. This is Hey, that's a great idea. This is such a a weird thing. I don't even know what to think about it. But seriously, for six hundred and fifty dollars, if you live within fifty miles of this. Go get it. Yeah, you're getting a... And tell us about it. It's You know, if it's all original stuff, which it sounds like it is, yeah. in terms of being an like an actual Marshall cabinet, you're getting a solid built cabinet, you're yeah. getting a decent set of speakers, and you're getting a classic amp design. I mean, even if even if the, the components were built from a kit, like the guy who made it ordered a kit off of right. uh, one of those sites. What's like the popular uh, site? Like Seriatone or something, or like yeah. Weber. Yeah, like a, like a Weber kit or something like that. Even if he did that for six hundred and fifty dollars, this is a steal. Yeah, like yeah. big time steal. And it kind of sounds more like the guy is an old amp tech who knows how to build these things and just built it. I thought that was kind of an odd inclusion in the ad. Most of the guys who were around in the classic amp era uh -huh. are deaf now. Yeah, do you want a deaf guy building your amp? Uh, so, you know, while well, as long as he can read a stereoscope, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, you're getting the right frequencies here. Yep. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> All right. On to our third set of ads. This is a concept that someone suggested to us again. Yeah, this was. A, I need to start writing. This down. was actually from uh, the oh, yeah, but, the. Uh, Man, I affectionately refer to as DJ Richard Jones. Okay. You can figure out where the D comes from. Okay. <laughs> wow, and this that, was, this that came out a lot more awkwardly than I expected. Sure. This was, this was off of our Facebook group, right? Yeah, this is from the Facebook group. This is a uh, Brad Paisley signed acoustic guitar. 
$1,000 in Fresno, California. Uh, now, if this was an American Telecaster signed by Brad Paisley... That would make a lot of sense because he plays a Telecaster. Yeah, or if this was one of his, like... I, I forget what the name of the company is. It's like a Crook or Creek or something. Guitar sure, sure. or custom builder. $1,000 would be a steal. Even if it was something that he doesn't play but was still a nice guitar... Like if you got like a nice Taylor acoustic or even like a nice Martin or something like that. Yeah. It would, it yeah. would make a lot of sense. What so, kind of guitar is this? Here's the ad. I got this autographed guitar from a local country radio station. It is a genuine signed Brad Paisley acoustic guitar. I have paperwork from Radeon station that came with the guitar. <laughs> and uh, looked at the pictures and this is a Rogue. It's a Rogue guitar. It looks like just about the cheapest... POS acoustic guitar you could get. It's probably $69 if you order it from a catalog. Yeah, it's something you get to take to the beach or to a camp. It's out. something you don't get because uh, it's the sort of thing your mom gets for you because she saw it on sale at Target. Right. Uh, this this is bottom of the barrel, budget, below student level sort of stuff. Like you'd be better off picking up a first act. Yeah. Probably no. than this. I, th- I don't know about the that. The Rogue stuff that I've touched, not good. You know Nate's playing a Rogue right now. Is he? He's been playing a Rogue for months. Well, maybe I'm totally wrong. Well, I wouldn't say you're totally I, wrong. I don't know if I picked that thing up. Yeah, that, that red guitar. So Nate is our worship leader at church, uh-huh. and a few months ago he left his uh, Gibson acoustic guitar in the back yeah, of his I guitar. I don't know the model, but it was a nice and, one. Yeah, and it heated up or whatever, and the headstock snapped. Yeah, you got to be careful with your Gibsons uh, and your nicer guitars. I leave stuff in my trunk all the time, but I don't have an electric guitar that's worth over $250, yeah. and I don't play acoustic that much, especially with acoustic, just because yeah. there's so much gluing involved. But I, it's so weird that the headstock snapped to me. But I don't, anyway, I don't but really understand it. We're but. we're way off topic here. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, he's playing a rogue. And it's not awful. No, but this is not a thousand dollar guitar, no. and you see this so much, and you see it all over the place. I can't imagine a musician buying this guitar, not for a thousand dollars, not for five hundred dollars, not for one hundred fifty dollars. No, no musician is going to buy this guitar. No, this is the sort of thing that only exists. Because radio interns go out and buy a bunch of these things so that when the special guest comes in, they can have them sign uh, 15 of them and they give them away as prizes yeah. at their, you know, oh, meet us out in front of uh, the sandwich shop. We're yeah. going to have our wacky prize van out there. S- spin the wheel. Win a free guitar signed win- by Brad Paisley that will be worth more what? It's, I can't knock Brad Paisley because the guy has chops. My favorite sure. ones are when uh, the pop radio stations do the win a, win a free guitar signed by the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> and at the time, you're like, oh, that could be neat. And then, you know, a year later, you're like, I have this guitar I want to sell on a Craigslist. And people are telling you. You know, if you take some uh, a magic eraser to those signatures, the value of that guitar will go up fifty bucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and it's weird in a way. In, in some way, it kind of makes sense because if you say that you're a huge Brad Paisley fan, or you're a fan of anyone who's got a signed guitar that you're looking at, you're probably not going to play that guitar if you got that guitar. Right. You're going to hang it on the wall and you're going to put it in a glass case with yeah. up lighting and down lighting and a velvet background and, and whatnot. 
And this is a guitar that you definitely don't want to play. So it's this weird like connection where it circles back on itself because you don't want to play this guitar anyways. Yeah. Uh, but if this was like a personal collection piece, you know, I could see the value going up a little. Uh -huh. if this was a guitar that was actually worth anything to begin with. Maybe the well, value would go up a little. I have trouble seeing the value in any collectible, I'm using air quotes right now, collectible signed guitar or anything signed that the musician didn't actually play. Right. Like if you, if you stand in line somewhere and get a, a, a signed photograph from a celebrity, you might have paid $100 for that signed photograph, but it's still really not worth that much. You're paying for the experience of meeting that person and having a memento for it. Right. Like, why would... I don't understand the connection to wanting some, you know, illegible scribble on a guitar that the artist never played and you weren't there when he signed it. Like, it's a weird thing that... I don't see the attraction. Yeah, there's value, I think, in more value in things like photographs and, and magazines and whatever, magazine covers. I know that used to be a really big thing. Right. Uh, and for me, growing up, it was all about, like, either po getting postcards because, you know, I was really, I'm still really into baseball. Uh -huh. So you, you go to the games and you get your a ball signed by your favorite, your favorite player on your favorite team or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, there's just certain things that have value that carry value but it's very specific yeah and guitars because i think that because they're such a high value item to begin with uh-huh it dilutes any value that a signature might add to it whereas like a baseball the most you're going to pay sure. for like a prof like a professional grade baseball you might pay 10 or 15 bucks right you get it signed by a guy who's going to be uh, eventually a hall of famer maybe or something and, you know a guy who's a really big name in the sport um and it's going to be worth a lot more money from that right uh, yeah, i mean you're essentially taking something that's worth a few bucks and making it worth whatever a collector will want to pay right and it has nothing to do with the value of the actual functional piece yeah, yeah. as but you know you there's got to be some sort of connection where I mean, you can't just have someone sign anything and have it be worth more. It's got to be a connection to what they do. Like, you, if it's a baseball player, it has to be a baseball or a baseball bat or, or a glove. Yeah. Like, it makes sense for, you know, you want a musician to sign a guitar. I mean, what else is there? You're, they're not going to give you an amp. Or... I remember when Picks we were... Picks are cool. In... If someone... If, you know, I had a picture in my wallet for a long time from uh, the presidents of the oh, USA. Right. And that was a big thing for me. They threw out, they throw a, a pick or two out in the audience throughout the show, and I was able to get one, and that was like exciting to me that it was in my pocket. I think I gave that pick away, <laughs> like at a show two months ago, Oops. and I forgot what it was. Yeah, oh well, it's, in, it's gone now. Back in the day, uh, I remember we played a few shows where Adam would break a drumstick, and some kid would get this like shattered piece of drumstick and ask uh -huh. him to sign it. Oh, yeah. Well, when you're a kid and when you're in the moment, that's what you do. But where's that drumstick now? It's not worth anything. Some kid probably still has it. It's worth something to him, but good luck selling it. Hey, listen, guys. If you run into us in a grocery store and you have a microphone, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> and because we were talking about this topic and because someone brought it up on our group, I pulled up another ad. I just did a search on Craigslist for signed in the music section. Right. And a bunch of stuff came up. 
there's all sorts of people trying to sell stuff like this. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's always the same recipe where it's a cheap, cheap, cheap guitar with a bunch of signatures on it. And you can tell that the person who signed it was just like, oh, yeah, okay. Signed it, signed it, signed it. They're signing 15 of these things at a radio station, like we were saying. But we've I pulled up one that is actually kind of neat, and I grabbed it because I knew uh, Steve would like it. Uh, it's a Gibson Les Paul. Uh, here's a description. This is an early 2000s American-made Les Paul special. I can't tell from the pictures if that means it's one of the flat tops. It should be. It looks. It kind of looks like a flat top. It looks like it's been played, too. There's some wear on places of it. It looks like one of the natural finishes. Like the, the black, like a matte right. finish that they were that, doing they with, were doing with the wood grain coming through. Black faded finish for a while. Uh, it looks like it's been played. It's been it's missing the toggle switch. Hard shell case included. That's always nice. But it was signed by everyone in Jimmy Eat World, which I know Steve is a, a big fan of. Uh, came from the radio station 91X. But this is an actual, you know, decent guitar. These, what would you, without signatures, what would you say... These go for um, just a guess. Six to seven, six maybe. to seven hundred. I haven't. You don't see them a lot anymore. Yeah. So it's hard to say. I think they sold new around seven, but uh-huh. and I don't think they've really dropped off that much in value because Gibson doesn't make them anymore. Right. And because like the la- kind of Les Paul special, you don't see a lot of specials around. Anymore. Yeah. The the flat top Les Paul. You just. Uh-huh. I don't even know if they make one currently. Not at, like I that's. Would, I would I know be surprised they make, if they didn't. I know they make the juniors. Uh-huh. But I don't know if the specials were like a two pickup junior. Right. Uh, I haven't. If they make them, I haven't seen one well, in any, a while. Anyways, let's say the val- If you were gonna go pick one of these up used without a bunch of scribbles on it, you'd probably pay that's, south of six fifty. Yeah, yeah. With the hard on a case, good day, I think six fifty is like a yeah. fair top end price. And this guy is asking a thousand dollars. I'd want to know if if uh, the band played it. They probably didn't. That's what I was wondering because it is worn and the level of wear that it has for a guitar, yeah. At least the level of wear that it looks like it has for a guitar Somebody that would have been fairly new. I'd want to know more story about it. But the, yeah. guy's, the guy's asking $1,000. Unless it's got some good story, I would never pay more than the actual value of the guitar for these things. And uh, I'm not a... Jimmy, no, and you know, going so if I got this thing, it would be purely for the value sure. of the guitar, and I'd be looking for ways to, sure. <laughs> to remove like, the scribbles. Going, going back to the to the baseball comparison or the sports comparison, um, Jimmy World is a cool band. They kind of started in the sure. in the this Arizona San Diego post hardcore yeah. scene in the mid nineties. They were popular uh, mid two thousand sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they kind of transitioned into this thing and uh so it's super cool. But uh that being said, you know, that they're not a household name. They're not a Rolling Stones or no. a Beatles or the Who. I I certainly don't think they've gained any more popularity than they had ten years ago. No, no, like they probably peaked it's been a decline for them. You know, they probably they, peaked with the middle or sure. bands come back sometimes. You know, yeah. they could pull an Aerosmith and come back every decade or something, but so far we haven't seen that. No. They uh, just put out an album, I think, but and, it was you know, whatever. It's cool that it's got <laughs> all four signatures. Maybe uh maybe they'll come back and maybe one of them will die and 
<laughs> it will make it more valuable because oh, you've hey. got all four guys on their original guys. I'm assuming the only, they have original dudes. The only way I can see this guitar gaining in value is if they pull like a, like a Sonic Youth or something where 20 years from now they become like this, there is this like post-hardcore revival. Right. Like, like this emo revival scene oh, gosh, 20, 20, 30 years from now. Um, oh man, where kids are going to be listening to it. I mean, <laughs> have to be an old man and be like, I didn't like this music when it first came out. And they're going to be like, oh, whatever, dad, you don't understand me. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like... Uh, this music is vintage. It's just, I, and the thing is, is I can't even think of anyone who's kind of made that transition. I feel like, that's kind of how I feel about Elvis Costello. I feel like Elvis sure. Costello, every, uh, every few years, like, Either like a new group of pop punk bands will latch onto the Elvis Costello uh-huh. sound, or a new batch of like just power pop Weezer yeah. kind of bands. Yeah, you know, there's a new group of these guys every ten years. Sure. It seems like, and then at the same time, like all of a sudden, Elvis Costello's this year's model is the picture on everybody's Facebook page. Yeah, and that goes on for a few months, and then all of a sudden, it's you know, it's who's Elvis Costello. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope people don't forget Elvis. He's got some great songs. Yeah, as does Elvis Costello. As as does Elvis Costello. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do we want to take a, a break for yeah, a sponsor for let's take a, break. a commercial break? Yeah, we'll be back in a few. Us a sponsor. Hey, friend, do you ever find yourself in the middle of a face melting solo, only to realize that you're cold as ice? Well, fret no more with Guitar Face Pro. This step-by-step 12-DVD series puts you on the fast track to facial fame and fortune. We cover warm-ups, exercises, muscle training, do's and don'ts for a perfect look every time. We'll cover signature looks like the Satriani Smirk, the Clapton Lip Curl, the Page Pucker, and the Malmsteen Mask, plus many more. Order now and we'll throw in the Hammond Power Stance DVD absolutely free. So wipe that smug look off your face with Guitar Face Pro. All right, we're back from the break. We had a sponsor, full-on commercial. Uh, we are, we're going to read an email that we received, our very first email to the official 60 Cycle Hum email address. Yeah. What's the email address? 60CycleHumCast at gmail.com. All right, write us and follow this guy's example. What is his name? Uh, this is from Nick Nick Jude. Nick Jude. Do you want to read it or should I read it? Uh, you read, I it. read it. I've been reading ads. Hey, guys. I just wanted to ask some questions as a young guitar player who is starting to develop a rig. What is the absolute worst piece of guitar equipment you've ever used? And also, the absolute best piece of equipment would be a fun contrast. I also wanted to ask you what you would have wished you knew as a guitar player at 16 years old. But I love the podcast and can't wait to listen to more. Well, that's what we're doing right now, Nick. <laughs> um, so let's start at the top. What's the worst piece of guitar equipment that you've used? The worst piece of guitar equipment that I've used? I'm going to frame this in context of a 16-year-old. Okay. Because I feel like that's what makes the most sense. Because I could wax poetic over something that I really like now or something that I really want to have or something that I've tried somewhere else. But if you look at it from the perspective of someone who used to be 16 
And uh, I started playing guitar when I was around 14. Okay. So that was right when I was getting real curious about all sorts of different stuff, and I had no idea what to get and what to not get. Right. Uh, the This is going to be a weird answer, but the very worst is the same as my very best. Uh, the very worst piece of equipment I ever got was this Zoom pedal, a Zoom 2100. And it was a little multi-effects unit that had uh, a couple different amp sims on it, and it had a couple different distortion sims on it, and some basic effects, and it had some looping characteristics. Mm. And it was just the, the bottom of the barrel, worst digital sound you could ever get out of a pedal. Like, this is before multi-effects units were good. Right. But at the same time, it was a huge learning tool for me where I got to play around with a bunch of different sounds. The looping function, I would really recommend anyone who's learning to play guitar, if you are looking to learn to play lead guitar at all, I super recommend getting your hands on a looper. Like, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't have to be a top-of-the-line looper. Just get something that has looping characteristics so you can strum out four chords and let them repeat and play leads over them and discover scales, discover modes, you know, arpeggios, whatever you want to do. Uh, they're great songwriting tools. They're great learning tools. And uh, I think it's a great idea for anyone, especially now, anyone who's a teenager or anyone first learning guitar, go out and get a multi-effects unit. Get, get a pod, get a pod XT or a pod 3 or HD or whatever's out now. Get one of the Digitech things. Get a Zoom thing. A lot of the new Zoom stuff is good. There's a lot of great things you can get. They're cheap. And you get to try a ton of different stuff, figure out what you like and you don't like. And then later, as you get older and you get more money in your pocket, you can go out and buy the real versions of the things that you learned that you like. Right. A lot of loopers now are, I mean, there's so many options in the looper oh, yeah. world. They're all dirt cheap. Oh, totally. Well, they're not all dirt cheap, but well, there's I've, a lot of good, solid, like, there's a lot of solid dirt cheap ones. I, my DD5, uh, uh -huh. my Boss DD5 has a del, uh, looper on the delay. Okay. Has a, has a hold function. Right, right. And that one, I think, is like two or four seconds. Which, okay, which is that's really, barely anything. Just barely anything. But my DD7, which is the newest Boss Compact Delay, uh, -huh. uh I don't know how long ago it came out, but it's the newest version in that DD line. I don't know how long the hold function is. I've never tested out to see how long it would go. It probably says in the manual, mm -hmm. but it's really solid. And it'll just, I can probably, just keep going and going. Uh, yeah, it just keeps going and going. I, yeah. I know I've done at least four bars on it, which uh -huh. is pretty long. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not like a d dedicated looper long, but four bars is pretty long. The thing for me with the Zoom 2100 is that I could, there was just enough time on there that I could squeeze in the entire verse from Pipeline. Oh, right. And so I dropped the whole uh, second guitar part from Pipeline and it would just barely make it in there. <laughs> and then I would get to be able to play the lead over it and mess around with playing scales over it and stuff and do all the fun surfy sort of stuff that I like to do. Uh, but yeah, there's ton, there's tons of looper options out there right now. It used to be that if you wanted a looper, you had to go out and buy like a like a six hundred dollar boomerang or whatever. Right. And I've even got a unit that's more expensive than you need to buy. I've got the 
the original model uh, Digitech Jam Man loopers, one of the two uh, foot pedal ones, and they have four foot pedal ones now that are the same price, but you don't need to spend that. They've got little $100 versions. They've got the uh, the TC Helion. Uh, is that the one? The Who makes That makes a ditto? I think it is. Yeah. No, it's not TC Helion. It's a... Uh, it's not? Do no. TC Electronics? Or TC, is it's the ones that make Hall of Fame reverb and stuff Yeah, like that's that. TC. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. They make a well, lot I'm of... Thinking, I'm, I guess I'm thinking of the aesthetic of their vocal processor. Piece. Oh, right. That's where I'm confused. But uh, they make a Jam Man that fits in a single pedal space now that's like a more simple one. Boss makes a single pedal yeah, looper. Yeah, the RC2 yeah. or RC3, yeah. I think. Go out and buy... A used one hundred dollar looper pedal. It's gonna it's gonna teach you so much. That's that's my tip for a sixteen year old guitarist. All right. Uh, I've been trying to figure out what the worst piece of gear I've owned was. Um, when I started out, I started out learning guitar on an old Harmony Archtop. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to jump to the advice part, I guess, because I'm having trouble figuring out what my worst piece of gear was. Right. Um, my advice is to find somebody who actually plays guitar Okay. to help. Like if you're just starting out and you don't have any gear yeah, yeah. and you say like, Oh, I want to learn, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. Like find somebody that, that you can actually trust, uh-huh. um, that can like go to a guitar store with you or something, or can mm. make a recommendation where they can say like, Oh, you know, such and such guitar brand is 150 bucks, but they always make really quality stuff. Right. Um, and the reason I say that is the, uh, so I started learning guitar on a old harmony arch tone, arch top. Yeah. This which, is the one I've seen before. Yeah. Right? It's like a sixties. It's like department a, store. I want to say it's from 55, 57, wow. somewhere in there. 50s, this huh? was my grandmother's guitar uh-huh. uh, that she gave to me when I was 12. And I tried to learn guitar when I was 12. And then I stopped basically, and then I picked it up again uh, two or three years later. Gotcha. The action on that thing is a bear. Like, yeah. you have to wrestle it. Now, as an adult, you know, as a, as a, you know, as a person with the strength of at least three quarters of an adult, <laughs> um, I can play that guitar now, and it's got a really cool, really, like, classic, uh-huh. uh, classic, it's know, dirty sound. a unique more novelty piece like you can appreciate it as a more mature guitarist yeah. for what it is yeah but when that's your main guitar exactly and that's your only guitar like that's a bad place to be yeah it's it's a tough place to start the action is rough i have no idea how my grandmother played yeah. it I don't a lot know of people it, pick those up and convert them to slide guitars yeah i don't know if it used to have a really great neck action on it. I thought no, about no, it never did. I thought <laughs> I thought about taking it to like Top Gear or something and it worked on. It. Anyway, that's not the point. Uh-huh. Uh, the point is, um, I I fought with that thing for a long time, and I really didn't t- start learning guitar until I got an instrument that I didn't have to fight with. Yeah, and it's one thing to say like, oh, I like to like Jack White always says, oh, I like to play guitars that. I feel like I'm in a battle with, like, I feel like I have to fight with. Sure. And I understand that to an extent because that's how I feel about my Telecaster. Uh-huh. Uh, when I play my te- Telecaster, I'm fighting against my Telecaster, but that's because that's what I want. When you're learning, you want things to be as smooth as possible 
because you don't know how to play a bar chord and you're developing hand strength, the last thing you need to be doing is fighting a guitar with you know yeah. monster action just to make a bar chord. You need to figure out how to nail that F chord. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, you got to figure out how to make that C chord. Yeah. You, three fingers? What's that all about? I know, right? Uh, I got to stretch my hand that far. Yeah, uh, so that was... That would be, I think, my big tip. Uh, I'm still trying to get, yeah, that. get a guitar that plays easy. I had like a reverse situation of that when I started playing guitar. The guitar I started learning on was a, uh, a Honer acoustic that my mom bought when she was in college in the '70s. She took a guitar class and she went out and bought this Honer acoustic, and it's actually like a really solid playing guitar. It's got really low action, really straight neck. And I didn't know that that was good. I was just like, oh, this is just a guitar that my family right. has. And uh, there was a guy at my church who had uh, an ovation. And I would go up on stage after church and mess around with his guitar. And his guitar had crazy high action. Huh. And because this guy was really good, I assumed that that was the desirable thing. I was like, oh, this, the strings are really high. That's probably the way people, that's probably the better way because right. he's got right. his guitar like that. Oh man, maybe someday I'll be able to get a guitar like this <laughs> where I definitely had a guitar that was superior in playability and it, you know, it was a big, great benefit to me to have a guitar that was easier for me to chord and easier to move around on the fretboard. And it, it didn't sound the best. I still have that guitar. It's a great campfire guitar. Right. It's still totally functional. It's got that neat, like, 70s adjustable bridge on it. It's got two screws on the side, so you can't even... You can make the action better or worse if you want. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, find someone to help you get a guitar that plays easier rather than getting a guitar that looks cool or some other feature that you think you yeah. want. So, so here's where I'm going to go with for worst piece of gear, because it's all I can think of. I probably had, well, what I wanted to say was every wah that I've owned. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I'm going to go with is I owned for a while, uh, when I was kind of in a transitional period as a musician, I owned a Vox 8050 VT, mm -hmm. which is one of their uh, Valtronic series amps it was from the first series of valtronics amps that uh -huh. they did it's it's hard for me to pick that amp because so first of all i got that amp because i wasn't really playing guitar anymore so i i traded my hot rod deluxe for it i traded my hot rod deluxe for a valtronics plus cash and uh thinking oh this will be a little smaller amp like maybe i can actually use it in my house right I was wrong uh, because <laughs> at 50 watts, a 50 watt yeah. 1 by 12 is still way too big. Sure, 50 watts is still a monster amp. Yeah. The other issue I had with that amp was that, uh, oh, and I'm also not including anything that I bought for the purpose of flipping. So right. otherwise, Line 6 Spider 315 is, would be right to the top. Yeah. Uh, which I owned for like a week. Uh, but this uh, Valtronics amp, uh, it had like two or three really cool sounds on it. I felt like it did a really good Fender Blackface. Okay. Which I guess is just kind of a pure clean tone. So it's like, how do you screw that up? Yeah, it's kind of a pure clean tone. It's, it's a little different than that. Yeah. Um, but I like that, the Fender Blackface sound. And there was like one other that was like Mar either Marshall 70s or Marshall 80s I would use uh -huh. for 
the second channel for the distortion tone, there were like, I don't know, six or seven other amp settings that I never really tweaked enough to really like. The only effect I ever used was the reverb. Um, and some of that is just because I'm, I don't, I don't do well with things that I have to program. Gotcha. Uh, so the idea of like, oh, you can assign channel, channel one to be clean plus reverb plus chorus plus whatever. Channel two, uh, dirty plus reverb plus chorus. Channel three, dirty plus reverb plus delay. Uh -huh. You know, whatever. I just and want. You just never got into that. I just want clean plus reverb, dirt plus reverb. I got a pedal board. Um, so for me, that was probably the worst piece of gear. I know a lot of people love those amps. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't really functional for me. And I ended up trading it for a guitar that I sold. And anyway, <laughs> uh, that, was, that was the beginning of my flip journey. Yeah. We, Steve and I both have gear that the story of it is just this massive flip story where the, it's like you could look at a family tree to see where our current gear came from. And there's <laughs> right. 15 generations of things that we owned for two months at a time yeah. before we flipped yeah. them. And, and uh, sometimes we look back and we feel good because like, Oh, I bought that original thing for $15 and here I am with a $20 thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, best piece of gear. So the best, so it's hard for me to think of a single best piece of gear because I've owned a lot of different. Yeah. That's hard. That's because a hard there's answer. different categories of things. Well, put, it, it's like, put it in the in the context of a 16 year old. Oh, and the the best piece of gear that I have owned in the context of a 16 year old that I would think that as a that 16 year old me would be think is super cool um, was probably my Hot Rod Deluxe, mm. uh, which was my first tube amp. Yeah, it's a solid um, amp. Yeah, it's solid. Uh, the drive channel is a little weak, but it was usable. Sure. Um, and I mean, if I, I, if I had that amp when I was 16, I would have used it probably, I would have gotten a lot of use out of it. Yeah. Uh, and then actually, I, I don't remember how old I was when I bought that amp. Uh, I think I might've been like 18 or 19 when I got it. So it was, it was definitely like a teen years amp. Uh, what I was going to go with, even though I don't use it, it's definitely the piece that I've gotten the most use out of over the years. The piece that Ryan is familiar with is the Acoustic 150. Oh Yeah easily the biggest return I've gotten on yeah. any, except maybe my Fender Jazz Bass. It's a lot that's of a use. special story. Uh, the Acoustic 150 I picked up for, I think, 200 bucks. I I feel like I, in a cash value sense, I overpaid. You did. Um, in a playing value sense. In a sense, playing though. value space. That was the first bass amp I owned. Yeah. I used it for a while. Then I switched to some other different bass amp situations. Uh -huh. And then I came back to it because it just had... This like awesome dirty bass tone. It has a really unique characteristic. Has, I'm, I'm using it as my main amp for my band right now. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's a beast. Every time people say, "Oh, solid state sucks," yeah, I'm like, if you haven't played vintage acoustic, a vintage acoustic amp, then you need to shut your mouth. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of good solid state amps out there. I mean, you yeah. you don't have to look any farther than. You know, the Roland Jazz Chorus. That's a famous yeah. solid state amp that people go to. Lots of people don't like them. Lots of people adore them. Oh, yeah. That was a staple in uh, 80s metal. Every, yeah. Every clean, every clean part, I don't want to say every, 
because you know only sure. only uh, certain absolute certain clean parts. Right, uh, a good number. <laughs> let's say a good number of clean really tones. Nerdy. I know a certain <laughs> grammar police. Uh, a good number of clean parts on Metallica songs in the eighties and early nineties, and I, I don't, I don't know if they're still using them, but. Uh, but Metallica was a big jazz course amp user, from uh-huh. what I understand. And I think the big, the biggest issue that people have with the jazz course for different thing, different solid state amps that are classic amps is just that they don't, they're not trying to do what the technology was designed to do. Right, right. So, well, I think you know, keeping it on the the topic of sixteen year old oh, right. stuff, I think there's the huge stigma against solid state amps. Is the fact that if you were if you grew up in any time after like seventy five, right, and you went and you learned to play electric guitar, your first amp was a piece of garbage solid yeah. state amp. It was yeah. a beginner's. My first amp was a solid state little crate fifteen watt. It was before there was DSP, and it had a drive channel and had an actual spring reverb in it, which, Ooh, which fancy. they don't do anymore. It's no. all DSP now. But it was a piece of garbage compared to everything else I've ever had. Uh, I gave that thing away, but that was my first amp. And that's like the common experience is that everyone's first amp is this low quality, solid state sort of thing. Right. And so you get this idea that once after you get your first tube amp, you're like, oh, well, I'm never going back to solid state again because right. that's garbage. And that but works you, for a lot of people. Yeah, but you don't realize that. There's some really, really good solid state amps yeah. out there. What there's was what was your first amp? My first amp. Uh, so the first amp that I personally owned was actually the DSP version of the first amp that you owned. Oh uh, yeah, see, so, uh, was that, that shows our, our age difference? Yeah. I'm three years older than you. Uh, I don't know. I'm turning thirty soon. Okay, I'm thirty two. Okay, yeah, I'm a couple of, couple of years ahead of you. And that's right around when they started to change stuff yeah. over. Like I got like the la- probably the last year or two that they made a non-DSP amp. But related to that, uh, and speaking of sixteen-year-old me, the first so my first electric guitar amp combination was a Fender Jagstang uh-huh. with a Fender Princeton Course, and the Fender Princeton Course was a basically a knockoff of the Roland Jazz Fifty Five. I yeah, want to say. Yeah. The, which is the it's a two by twenty five watt stereo chorus amp, and actually that amp is the reason I hate chorus pedals <laughs> because not be, not so not even because I think chorus is like this cheesy eighties thing, uh-huh. which I do, <laughs> um, but, but because the chorus on the Princeton chorus was so lush because it's actual stereo yeah. chorus, yeah, that the pedals that I've heard. Just don't compare. It's like the difference between using a Vibe pedal and using a Leslie. Right. Sort well, of thing. for me, it's the difference between every reverb uh, pedal on the market right. and using a spring an reverb. actual physical reverb tank or a spring reverb. Yeah. Is, you know, the question I always ask is, oh, I bought this $7,000 Strymon reverb. It's, it sounds like God descending upon the earth. I'm like, but what happens when you kick it? Yeah. Does it crash? Does it crash? Yeah. Because that's all I want to do with reverb. Well, those those things those things model more closely after different studio sure. algorithmic reverbs, yeah, and plate they, reverbs, and 
and whatnot, and they're trying to attain a sound that is not a naturally occurring yeah, thing. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, they sound awesome. Sure, sure. Uh, but it's but like at chorus. The day, at the end of the day, I want to smash something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my big journey lately is in the past couple of years is I'm realizing I don't like to use any sounds that don't exist in amp form. Huh. If that makes sense. Like I don't like to use distortion or overdrive sounds that are too far outside of what an, like an existing amp right. could do. And I don't like to use effects that are outside of what kind of classic amps can do. Like I use a lot of reverb. I use tremolo. Sure. And I do use delay, but you know, there are, ex- I use it more in the way that someone would have used an old Echoplex or something right. like that. And, uh, we're way off topic now. Yeah, that's what what are we even? T- where, what direction are we going? Uh, we're going in. Never, oh my gosh! I, I was <laughs> going to make a one direction joke. So uh, let's let me look at this email again. What? Okay, I also wanted to ask what you would have wished you knew as a guitar player at sixteen years old. What I wish I'd known at sixteen years old. That's. Yeah, that's kind of tough. That's that's kind of existential. Yeah, I wish I had known more scales. I still don't know scales. Only learn some scales. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not that many that you need to know. Like, uh, learn some pentatonic, learn some blues scales, learn your major scales. Yeah, and I, then uh, and really focus on them. Like I said earlier, get a looper, work I, on your scales. I think it's harder to be a 16 year old guitarist now than it was for us. You think so? Yeah. Why? Because why do least, you think that? At least in the circles that I run in, or that we kind of run in, and the like, the praise and worship genre, uh-huh. everything is so effects laden now that it's kind of overwhelming. I get, yeah, it's it's a hard learning curve to get into with with all the equipment that a lot of people are using. But you really don't need all that stuff if you want to if you want to be making the same music that everyone else is making in the praise and worship scene. Yeah, all you need here's what you need. Here's the recipe. You need a a solid kind of soft overdrive pedal, and you need uh, probably two delay pedals. Yeah, and you're yeah. set. And an amp. And an amp. Or, or a Tech Twenty One. Right, but it doesn't matter the brand. It doesn't matter how expensive. Get you know, get your Joyo stuff. Get something you found used. Right. That's all you need to get there. Yeah. Like you're getting there. I'm just thinking like. Or like I said, get a multi-effects processor. I was a praise and worship. I've been a praise and worship player since the beginning, pretty right. much. But I, when I was learning guitar, I, you know, the there wasn't a lot of electric guitar in worship. No, it was this is it was de- it was delirious or nothing. Yeah, everything else was acoustic driven. So I had the freedom to take my MXPX albums and my Five Iron Frenzy albums, like my Punk and Ska. Uh-huh. And which is all pretty simplistic, like guitar distortion stuff, and infuse it into these kind of like acoustic guitar songs. Gotcha. So that that's what I mean by like I think it it was simpler for us. Yeah. Um, yeah whatever. Cor- yeah, song structures used to be more simple when I was when I was oh a for kid. sure. Uh, especially in the '90s, like even pop songs were yeah. like four chords yeah. to Green Day and Nirvana and and Hanson. And Hanson and uh, Offspring and all that. Four chords, five chords max. You can do it all with power chords. It's a little different than that now. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wish I'd known when I was 16 is uh, how easy it is to start and play in bands. 
like to go find other people who are making music, put out sure. ads, go play with other people. It's not, uh, it, you don't have to wait till you're a certain level. Yeah, and you get a lot better when you're playing with other people. Oh, yeah. You get a lot better when you're playing in front of people. Uh huh. Um, Just try to get with people that you like or that you feel are helping you. Like, you know, there's lots of band drama out there. Sure. Don't hang out with people who uh, are abusive to you. But unless it's making you better in yeah. some way. Don't be afraid of being the band of 16-year-olds with the 40-year-old drummer. Right. That guy needs <laughs> love, too. That guy needs a band. You yeah. need to form and a band you, and you guys so that guy can be in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like we've rambled on long enough. This we're, was awful. We're getting close to an hour. So uh, let's let's call this thing to the yeah. show. Thank you to everyone who's been writing in and... Uh, giving us comments and participating on the Facebook group. Yeah, the Facebook group has been really busy this week. Yeah, people giving us all sorts of stuff. Sorry if you asked something and we weren't able to get to it. Uh, we'll maybe be able to get to it later if we can remember. Yeah, ask us again. Ask again uh, if it's still important to you. <laughs> right. Yeah, if, right. The, if the problem hasn't been solved. Thanks to Nick for writing in. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, thanks to uh, our friend Adam Powell for making the theme music and making that commercial that you heard earlier. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping to get a lot more stuff out of him. Yeah, maybe we'll get a real commercial and we can be sellouts. Yeah. It's not called being a sellout if it's what you want to do. That's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, 16-year-olds, this is what you need to know. If your goal from the beginning is to make money, then it's not selling you out never when sell you make out. money. You're selling out if you don't make money. That's right. All right. That's right. End of, end of episode six. All right. See you guys. 60 cycle. No, long. this is episode five. Are you? Oh, okay. The end of episode five. Ryan can't count. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>